James chapter 5, verses 13 to 20. Is anyone among you in trouble? Well, let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sin. Well, please pray with me. Father God, as we come to your word, we pray that you will give us great confidence that you have ordained this word, that you are the one who has breathed it into life through the Holy Spirit. Father, give us confidence that as we consider prayer in the life of the Christian, that you will give us great confidence that you will answer our prayer, that you will enable us to be better prayers and that you will help us to build confidence in our prayers. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, in our backyard, uh, many of you have been there, uh, there is a fig tree. Now, I'm not sure if you've ever had a fig tree or you have a fig tree or you've seen a fig tree. But let me tell you, a fig tree in winter, when I first saw our fig tree, I started here, we weren't living in the property at the time, but I remember walking in there in July. A fig tree is as barren as barren can be. In fact, I thought it was an old tree that had to be chopped down because it was dead. A fig tree in winter looks as dead as any tree that is dead, I have to say. But then spring comes and through no effort of, the, of mine, particularly because I'm no gardener, or even the branches of the tree, even the tree itself, through no effort, buds begin forming on the branches within days and weeks. And that's where we're at with our fig tree now. All of a sudden you see these buds pushing through the branches of the fig tree. Green is sprouting, leaves are developing and you're thinking, where on earth did this come from? And when the season's right, big juicy figs start growing and then the cockatoos eat them and you get disappointed. But this year I'm putting a net over it, so all's good. So the leaf and the fruit of the fig tree come out of the branches with no conscious effort of mine or even of the tree. Now this is the illustration that Charles Spurgeon uses of prayer and those who have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this. He says this about prayer. He says, prayer is the natural outgushing of a soul in communion with Jesus. Just as the leaf and the fruit will come out of the vine branch without any conscious effort on part of the branch, but simply because of its living union with the stem, so prayer buds, blossoms and fruits out of souls abiding in Jesus. See, Spurgeon is saying that our stem is Jesus and our new nature of being in relationship with him should naturally overflow in prayer. Prayer should be the very core 
of how we respond to our faith in Jesus. How is your relationship with Jesus reflected in your prayer life? When you pray, do you pray with confidence? Do you pray with great anticipation, with great expectation that he will answer your prayers? See, this morning James finishes his letter by shifting our focus to our prayer life. And so far in his letter, he's outlined the characteristics of authentic faith. And he's seen that uh, he says authentic faith finds joy in trials. It does what the word says. It doesn't show favoritism. It's seen by what it does. It controls the tongue. It practices heavenly wisdom. It submits to God in humility. It leaves judgment to the judge. It plans within God's master plan. It does not exploit others and it is patient in suffering. That's where we've been through James. And now James rounds all this up by saying authentic faith prays. And I believe there's a good reason he's doing this. Because if you are not praying, then an authentic life without prayer, you can't do any of these other things. It's a contradiction. You can't have authentic faith if you do not pray. It is simple as that. And James says three things in this passage about prayer. He says authentic faith prays in all circumstances. Secondly, he says authentic faith prays with confidence. And thirdly, he says authentic faith prays for spiritual and physical healing. Well, if you have your Bibles, please turn them there uh, to James chapter 5, verses 13 to four and 14, where he says, authentic faith prays in all circumstances. It says, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of pray, praise. Is anyone among you sick? Well, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. So the first thing he says is, when you are in trouble, and this is flowing out of being patient in suffering, he says, when you are in trouble, pray. Now the word he uses for prayer here is a broad Greek term meaning speak to God. Simply speak to God. And the word for trouble here is a broad term meaning hardship. See, when things are difficult, Speak to God. When life is tiring, when there's opposition, when being Christian is just not easy because of the sacrifices you have to make, when the fruit that you long for seems sparse, speak to God about it. When there's a pandemic stopping you from meeting together, talk to God about it. When the education system is closing down scripture and replacing it with ethics classes, pray. When you finally come back to church and you're muzzled with a face mask and told not to sing, talk to God about it. When illness comes unexpectedly, pray. When parenting is overwhelming you, pray. When you are lonely and just looking for someone to spend your life with, Talk to God about it. Or maybe you've spent your life with a life partner who is no longer with us and you're lonely. Talk to God about it. 
when that person that you've been sharing the gospel with and praying for who hasn't yet come to Christ and they reject it, pray, talk to God about it. See, when life is hard, James is saying, speak to God. That's where we start. Let's talk to God about it. King David knew how to pray when things were in trouble. Psalm 13, how long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer me, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Notice he's talking to God. He's sharing how he feels. Will you forgive me forever? I'm struggling here, Lord. Why do you hide your face from me? He is talking to God as a father, not as some far distant being that he doesn't know. When life is hard, speak to God about it. Pray. But James also says when life is great, when we are happy, sing praise. There's something very natural about bursting into song when we're happy. I know it because my kids tell me to shut up. So as soon as they start saying, be quiet, I know I'm happy. So I love to sing praise when I'm happy. A few weeks ago, I was digging up the garden uh, out the front and uh, we came across this old stump that had obviously all rotted away. But inside it, there were about, oh, it would have been up to 100 witchetty grubs. And I managed to spend a lot of time, we dug it out and I got a pickaxe and started belting it with the kids and we got these witchetty grubs and then the kids just started grabbing them and throwing them, as kids do. And as they were throwing them in the air, these butcher birds were coming and catching them and then going and having a feast. And they must have eaten 20 witchetty grubs each. But when it was all over and we were just sitting in the garden, standing in the garden, these butcher birds, these two butcher birds came and stopped on this branch. It would have been within arm's reach and just started singing this amazing song. It was like they were saying, thank you, thank you. And they've been following us around ever since. Now, they might have just been singing for more food, but it felt like they were praising and they were rejoicing that they had had such a wonderful, happy moment. See, that's the image that we have here. Psalm 95 is a song of praise. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed to the dry land. I'm not going to tell you who it was, but not long ago, uh, these people knew I was going to drop something at their front door uh, from the church and I turned up and unbeknownst to them I uh, turned up just at the time where they had obviously started bursting into song. They were singing and praising God and something had happened. Uh, you know, I, I, Hopefully you're all sitting there going, oh, was that me? That's embarrassing because hopefully it's happening quite a lot in your homes. 
But it was a wonderful, infectious time. I, I wasn't feeling so great, to be honest. And I, I'd put this thing at the front of their door and I went away just feeling so refreshed. There's something very powerful about people praising God when they are happy. See, James is saying, sing songs of praise to God when you are happy. Raise the roof with songs in your happiness, he says. Well, the third thing he's saying here as well in this first point is that he talks about those who are extremely ill. He says, call for intercession and ask others to be praying for you. So the leaders of the church are called to pray over them, he says, and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, I want you to notice a few things uh, about this. Uh, this person, he, I don't think he's saying that we should be calling the elders whenever we're feeling a sniffle. I think he's actually saying that when we're extremely ill and they're effectively on our deathbed. Uh, he, notice here that the, the elders are called to uh, do all the praying. So they're called to pray over the person. And where it says in verse 15, the Lord will raise them up, it's literally talking about out of their bed. They are lying, when you're praying over them, lying in their bed, this person is in all terrible distress that they've been called because there is nothing really they can do for themselves. So what we have to understand is prayer isn't an individual pursuit. We're told to confess to one another and pray for one another so that we might be healed in verse 16. So the image here of anointing with oil and elders praying over is of someone who is uh, extremely ill. And the oil is important. We don't walk around sprinkling oil on everything and everyone uh, simply because uh, it says in this passage to call the elders and and oil. The oil here is very symbolic. In the Old Testament, oil was a symbol to set aside uh, and, uh, the kings and, and other officers to show that they'd been set aside for the Lord's uh, specific purpose. And I think what's happening here is this oil is very symbolic to set this person aside for the Lord's special attention in this time of their life. They are extremely ill. They are on their deathbed and we're asking the Lord to, 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 to look upon them with special favour. Now notice here it says uh, to anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. The oil itself has no special power. In fact, the prayer itself is not where the power is. Uh, the power is in the name of the Lord. The Lord is the one with the power. But also notice here, uh, that with the anointing of the oil, uh, that uh, there's, only one, there's only one other instance in the New Testament, and that's in Mark 6, when Jesus sends out, uh, sends out the 12 uh, disciples. We're told they drove out demons and they anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. It's the only other instance uh, in, the, in the oil. And it's very much uh, focused on setting uh, someone apart uh, for, the special, uh, for the special attention uh, of the Lord. So uh, should we ask the elders to come and pray for us and to anoint us with oil? Well, I think there are circumstances uh, where the elders should be called upon and we should be anointing uh, with oil. Uh, but we have to remember that the oil itself has no special power. It is a symbol 
to say that we are setting this part person apart in the church and asking the Lord to specifically have grace upon grace uh, in their life. So authentic faith, James says, should be prayed, uh, praise in all circumstances. It's pray, we should pray in hardship, we should pray in happiness, and we should pray uh, when we are sick. All circumstances of life uh, will find authentic people, authentic faithful people praying. Well, the second thing he says here is authentic faith prays with confidence. Uh, if you have a look at verses 15 and 16, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Well, how confident are you that God will answer your prayer? where it says we'll make the sick person well it literally says we'll save the sick the sick will be made well or saved when prayer is offered in faith this is a big verse it says will so we must pray with confidence that the one that we are praying to has authority to heal the person we're praying for, to remove that sickness. He proved he could as he walked the earth. He healed the paralytics. He drove out demons. He demonstrated his authority on the earth through the healing of those that were sick. See, in Matthew 17, Jesus' disciples couldn't drive out a demon. And after Jesus comes and drives out the demon, they say, why couldn't we drive out this demon? And he says in verse 20, Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. See, that's the confidence that we should have, that as we approach a mountain with great faith, that Jesus can move that mountain. If we ask him to, we should have tremendous confidence that the healing we, we come. But we must remember that prayer isn't, the power isn't in the prayer. It's not in our faith. It's in the one who we pray to. The Lord is the one with power. So I guess the question is, does this mean that whatever we want, as long as we have enough faith, God will do it? He will give it to us. Well, that's the interpretation you will hear over and over and over again by many church leaders throughout the world. Now, I don't think it's saying that at all. I think James is addressing people who had no confidence in their Lord, and I think he's addressing people who weren't praying. And he's saying there's no reason you shouldn't have great confidence that the Lord will now here there's a fine line between confidence and arrogance. I want you to recognise the fine line between confidence and arrogance. Remember this is the same letter that only uh, in the last chapter that James rebukes they, those people who were saying, well, we'll go to this city, that city, conduct business, do this, do that. And he says, well, you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. You should say if it's the Lord's will. You will do this or that. 
See, they were arrogant because they thought that they could do whatever they wanted and if they wanted it, then it would happen. See, when we pray, we need to be careful not to step from confidence to arrogance because that's called pride. And it ends up with us saying things like, oh, the power is in my prayer or the power of prayer. No, the power of Jesus. Jesus is the one with the power. Your prayer, what you say, does not have the power. In Ephesians, uh, in Acts 17, when, when Paul goes to the Ephesians and they've got special amulets and, and they're casting out demons with these special words, that whole narrative is a rebuke of thinking that we can say certain things and the amulets or what we say is powerful. No, the power is in the name of Jesus. See, what, what, what James is saying is be confident with God in you, that God will answer your prayer. Believe he will raise the, person, uh, the, the sick person to health. There are parables and there are teachings also that talk about continue to knock, persevere in your prayer. If God doesn't answer your prayer, don't give up. Continue in that. It doesn't mean that you don't have faith if he doesn't answer your prayer the way that you think. Your faith isn't strong enough. That's the other uh, resolve of the arrogant person. Thinking that their faith somehow has the ability to manipulate God to do whatever they want it to do. So the reality is, is if you're in the Lord, you will come in prayer with great confidence, just as Daniel laid out everything in prayer. He never stopped praying, even when it meant that he would be sent to the lion's den. Prayer should be greatly confident that anything can happen with the prayer of a faithful person. Why? Because their faith is in the Lord Jesus. And that is the confidence that we bring. Tim Keller, one of the great leaders of our church today, you may or may not know, has been diagnosed with cancer. I've no doubt he's got many prayer warriors, many faithful, righteous people praying for him. I've no doubt that he and his family are praying. We have many greatly, great faithful people in our own congregation that are currently going through terrible sickness and illness. We are praying for their healing and they are praying for their healing. If God doesn't answer that prayer immediately, do we give up praying? Do we say, oh, well, they're sick because they haven't got enough faith or they've done something wrong? Well, I think, I think that's addressed in here too. Notice how it says, if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. The very fact of coming to God in faith, that faith itself means that you will be healed in salvation terms, in spiritual terms, and be made well and forgiven for your sin. But notice the if. Jesus addresses this another time. Someone comes and says, who's, who's sinned? This man who's lying there is, I think he was a paralytic or born blind. Born blind. He was born blind. Who's sinned, him or his parents? Jesus says, well, neither. This is in his life so that you will see the power of the Son of Man. And Jesus heals him. See, the purpose isn't about you ultimately. It's about bringing God the glory. 
And so don't look upon someone and say, well, they don't have enough faith. Oh, they've done something wrong. Oh, they must have sin in their life to be so sick. No, that's arrogance. That is not what that he's saying here. Authentic faith prays in all circumstances and authentic faith prays with great confidence. Well, finally, Jesus, uh, finally, James says here that authentic faith prays for spiritual and physical healing. Notice the integration of the physical and the spiritual salvation again in verse 15 and 16. I just want to draw out this a bit more. I'll read it again for you. When the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, the Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, I want you to notice that there's this interweaving of the physical and the spiritual illness going on in the person. See, James is implying that the major part of the prayer here is for that person's salvation, for the forgiveness of their sin. He's imploring us to confess our sin. Our greatest need is for spiritual healing, not physical healing, to have our sin forgiven, for our faith in the Lord Jesus to reconcile us to God through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no point for the elders to go and pray for a person's physical healing if they are not committing his spiritual or her spiritual life to the Lord. There is no point in asking the Lord for your physical healing if he grants it to you and your spiritual life has not been dealt with. This is a reflection of uh, that time when those four friends brought the paralytic to Jesus. They went up on the roof. There was no room for them to get in, so they dug a hole. They'd lower his mat down in front of Jesus and in great anticipation, they were anticipating that Jesus could heal. He would heal this man. And as everyone watches with bated breath to see a miracle happen, he says, son, your sins are forgiven. That's a bit, it's a bit of a letdown, isn't it? We want to see him physically healed. There's murmurings by the religious elite. Oh, only God can forgive sins. Who does this guy think he is? He's a blasphemer. And then Jesus says, so you know that I have the authority to forgive sins here on earth. Get up, take your mat and go home. See, all physical healing is pointing to the spiritual healing that comes from the gospel. We are seeing this over and over in the book of Acts. Whenever there's a great miracle that Paul performs, whenever Peter performs a miracle, it is always a pointer to the word of God, to the gospel that's being preached. It gives the preacher the authority in order to proclaim the gospel so that people aren't focused on the preacher, but to the one who they are preaching about. See, all physical healing is meant to bring glory and show the authority of the one who heals, and that is Jesus. And so there is no point in praying for the physical healing of someone if you 
are not first and foremost con, uh, concerned with their spiritual healing, their reconciliation to God, the forgiveness of their sin as they put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. See, I think this is why James finishes this letter by saying, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sin. It seems like it hangs out there on its own, but it doesn't. The concern for all of us should be the spiritual healing of our world. And the authority to spiritually heal in Jesus will be pointed to at times through great miracles and physical healing. I want to leave you with a very personal example that's happened to me recently. Well, it hasn't really happened to me, but I've been a part of. When I arrived at the church through divine intersections, I can only call them that, uh, I bumped into someone that used to come to our church and that I'd known for years and, and, and we had these divine intersections, I want to call them. And uh, in those divine intersections, I was introduced to uh, a fella. I won't even use his name because I haven't asked his permission. But he's got some underlying medical conditions and uh, not a Christian fella. And just trying to minister him, to him in some way. I was going to try to catch up with him regularly, but he didn't want anything to do with church or anything to do with Jesus and so he decided against that, and that's fine. But there's a lot of prayer been going into his life, and, and then uh, he ended up in the Nepean Hospital where he contracted COVID. And with the underlying medical conditions, he was effectively given less than a week to live. This is all very recent. Now, someone, this uh, per, mutual friend uh, called me and just gave me an update of what's happening and just said, can you please pray? Anyway, that weekend, uh, I get another call just after, I, or I followed it up with this person, and he gave his life to the Lord. Now, that's a wonderful, wonderful feeling. But she said, you know, through the ministry of his brother and some other people, he, he committed his life to the Lord. Now, we can praise God for that. That's, that. There is nothing greater than that. His eternal future is secure. Anyway, I didn't hear much more. The expectation was there was a couple of days for him to live. Uh, I hadn't heard anything. I saw some news. I saw some reports about the statistics. And I put two and two together and sort of it all lined up. And, and I thought, okay, well, I, you know, at least I know he's with the Lord. You know, I, a week later, I have another divine intersection. Oh, no. He's making a recovery. And no one knows how that he's recovering. Now, if we were so concerned with his physical healing and not his spiritual healing first and foremost, the thing is, all physical healing will still end in the same thing. We all deteriorate. We all end up that day, whether it's today or 70 years down the track, where we will face our maker. The concern of this passage and all Christians should be for the spiritual healing. And when the physical healing comes, we praise God and we point people to the authority that that shows that the name of Jesus has. The name that is above every name. 
the creator of heavens and earth, the Lord of lords, king of kings. And James here says our prayer is concerned with spiritual matters that is expressed within the physical realm of our world. So let me encourage you to have great confidence that when you ask the Lord to heal someone, that he will heal. But just as Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane asked for another way, just as Paul says in 2 Corinthians that when there was this thorn in his flesh, he, he, he implored the Lord three times, but the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. And when Jesus says, if there's another way but not my will, yours be done, that that is your path forward. Even when the answer doesn't seem to align, you can trust the Lord hears you. The answer is there. And he is willing to heal. But what comes first is the forgiveness of sin so that people can have life everlasting. Father God, we thank you for this message from James. We thank you that you have called us to pray. Pray in all circumstances that you have called us to pray with great confidence and you have called us to pray for spiritual and physical healing. Father God, we pray that you will bless us now with great confidence. I, I pray that our church will be bold, that as we set our plans and we say the Lord's will be done, that we go boldly and confidently into those plans knowing that you will still direct our steps and that you will still have us in your hands and that you will never leave us nor forsake us. Father, help us not to hesitate even when we feel prayers aren't answered the way we want, but help us know that your great commitment to us and our healing has come through the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ and help us look to the cross with great confidence knowing that we have a hope that is beyond this world and that our first, our first hope, our first priority should be the spiritual healing of our world. And so we pray all this in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.